That's probably fair. It is striking that the divorce rate is, is roughly the same or slightly higher. She said slightly higher. I hadn't heard that it was slightly higher, but it is roughly the same for whether you're inside or outside the church. It you know, hovers, at, depending on who you listen to, around 50%. So that's kind of an interesting thing. And there is, uh, yeah, it is a strange. Now, what, what accounts for that? Not, not the divorce thing. We'll go there later if you want. But um, what accounts for how people think about weddings, about marriages? Why do, people, why do people act that way? And what could be the cure? <laughs> it is the di- you, yes, you can book in at Disneyland now. They're expanding that. No, oh, no. Yes, right. Yes. Well, the big news was the big news. What? Yeah, so, so, you know, that was the, you know. Yeah, so there is, there is sort of this image of what, uh, you know, what brides and grooms are supposed to do. Um, yes. Right. Right, right. Right. Yes, right. Right. Now, Gaining has told you he's 0 for 7. 1 for 7. Do you know this? Yeah, the first, we in general don't, don't, uh, well, churched or not churched, almost everybody that comes in is living together. Don't live together, because I'll be angry when you come to have your, <laughs> I won't be angry, but, uh, you know, it just makes it more difficult. The first seven, I, I, you know, I'm like, well, the new guy, he can have some fun. So the first seven couples he had were all living together. Church people and non-church people, okay? So the first seven couples he had coming in. And then what always happens is, is we say, well, the Lord might have another idea. And then people are in some range between indignant, who are you to tell me what to do about my marriage? And we're like, church. And then uh, on the far end, and this is a very honest conversation, I once had a guy who was about 30 years old who re- literally said to me, nobody's ever told me this before. And I thought, that's just really honest and interesting, you know. Now, here's the thing. I mean, you know, life being what it is, um, you know, we don't sort of have any, have any illusions about who's coming to see us, even in church people. I mean, we just, you know, that's life is what it is. Uh, however, uh, well, let you be me, which is my favorite game. Or be gaining. He's not here today. They're, he and Crane graduate today, so they're not here. So, so they're off. Now, you be Gainig, you're the new guy, and you know, the first seven couples that you have are living together, and they are some range of foreign to us. This is the range of people that we have. People who've never been here before, but say we want to be under your care. We only marry people if they say, people say, could we have a wedding here? We don't rent out the upstairs. But we say, if you're, if you're interested in coming under the care of the church, we would love to have you come under our care. And then we begin to explain what that means. So you have people who are completely unchurched. We have people who are shirt-tail relatives or uh, my, my great-aunt goes there or I went to school there in kindergarten. Or So we have those kind of people. We have people who are um, uh, our own, you know, and then, but, but not around. Then we have people who are sort of full blast. So we have with this range of people who come in. And believe me, when they come in, the last thing they're thinking about is us. 
Okay, they, they have just, they, they just have, they've already decided that they're getting married. They've already booked the hall. They've set the date. They've got the caterer, the florist, and the photographer. And then they come and let us know that they're going to get married. Now, if they have a relative, imagine, so now it's like, I have a relative and all my plans made, and by the way, we're coming to St. John to get married, and we just thought we'd let you know. Okay? You, now you, and we're living together. So now you, that's the sort of pressure that we have when people walk into the, to, into the room. <clears throat> now, you be me, what do you say? Because these are real live relatives of real live people who get really lively if you tell them, for example, you can, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, well, well, yeah, I never thought to say that, but that, you know. <clears throat> Now, there is a certain pleasure that you take in saying that, which almost is almost a sure indication that it must be wrong. <laughs> but there is. Uh, yeah, do you have, yeah, do you have a backup church in mind? But if you do that, you have to have an agreement with that backup church. Oh, no. <laughs> well, no, here's the thing. No, almost, we're, we're, almost, uh, we're almost alone in this. Uh, yeah, well, people, even where I was in the small town where I was, we were the church who didn't marry people who were living together. And almost every they just moved down the the Catholics didn't either so that was but the other ten churches in town did and so people just moved and it, you know what in a small town where you know you have a couple hundred people coming to church and you're trying to you know hold every family and people say well I and all my family which could be thirty of your members are going to become Methodist next week there's an intense amount of pressure so in one sense you know what you what you say is true uh, but the other thing is is that people say as a matter of fact I do. Or no church at all. I mean, they just go to Donata or the Harrington or somewhere else, and you know, it's not particularly difficult. Go ahead. Would you ex um, ask them why they want to be married in the church and what they their names around? Good, thank you. Well, yes. Okay, good. Yeah. So you ask what? It, why? How'd you find us? Right. Now, sometimes they say, "Well, it's my great aunt," you know. Or I went to, Mrs. Gady was my kindergarten teacher. You know, I mean, we get that. Or, um, well, I'm a member here. And then we say, well, we haven't seen you for, I've been here 10 years and never seen you. Yeah, but I'm a member here. Okay, you're a member here, good, okay, so that's good. And of course, what we want to do is we want to save them, right? We want them in the community. We ever try to draw them in. And when we say to people, um, if you're willing to come under our care, we're willing to do, uh, do the wedding, um, what do you think under our care would mean? If you were going to describe it for St. John, what would under our care mean? Yeah, okay, yeah, okay. All right. Well, one is you start coming to church. That would be an interesting starter. Yeah, you might come to church. Good. You might, you might find yourself in the new members class. Sorry? Yes, you might want to be coming to communion. Do you, do you require marriage as much as we can possibly jam into them. So they meet with the pastor three or four times. But now, here's the thing. We don't do, and no pastors here do counseling, because no pastors here are trained in counseling. We're very good. Well, I mean, sort of, you know. Well, I'm, here, I'll, let me split it for you. Yeah. Let me split it for you. So we do, what we do is largely confession and absolution, which largely is teaching about the scriptures. And then we send people, almost everybody in their parents' health care or in their own health care or in their member assistance plan with their work, 
under the mental health benefits or under the we love you kind of benefits, almost every healthcare provides six or seven um, sessions with, a, with somebody who specializes in, in premarital stuff. And we ask them to go do that. We don't force them, but we sort of say, if they're, if they're actually both working, it's quite an advantage because they could have five or six under each health insurance plan. We always say, go to that one, go to that one. And then there's, there's an all-day thing at Central Page Pastoral Care. We try to get them to go to that. So, because here's the thing, and then and if you're married, you know this, marriage can be extraordinarily difficult sometimes. <coughs> Sorry. <coughs> Sorry, yeah. Present company accepted. And, uh, you know, you need all the resources you can have. And most people, how do most people come to marriage? I mean, the first thing they do is all they really know is that they're in love. We're in love. But they can't tell you what that means. Yeah, right? We're in love. Yeah, I'm a, I ignored that the first time, and it just went on the tape. So I'm not going to actually identify you by that. Yes, it, you know, and we should just, here's the thing. We should just step back from that a second, because here's the thing. It's very, part of the reason teenage kids have sex so often is because they know when they're having sex, but they don't know when they're in love. Love is a very nebulous sort of thing. Am I in love? Do I love him? He loves me. Does she love me? Does he love me? Blah, da, 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 da. That, that is very difficult. Love is a very difficult thing to identify. Sex is fairly easy to identify. I mean, people pretty much know if they're having sex or if they're not. People don't know very well if they're in love or not. So if you've got to take what's certain, which people tend to do by default, you know, sex is easy. I mean, any moron. Than, I would, under the, under the proper arrangements. Now, I once, wrote a, I once wrote a long paper, and then I had, I had drawn, a, I'd drawn sort of an ancillary thing where I had said, um, theoretically, any two Christians um, could, be, could, be, could be matched up at the altar, and then that would be, uh, you know, that would be all right. And then, then the person who I gave to a few people to read, and one of them pointed me to the four loves in Lewis, where I was arguing against the notion that there was just one person for every one person in the world. My argument was that there were, there's a range of people. In fact, among Christians, there could be a very broad range of people with which you could be happily married. Uh, in Lewis, in The Four Loves, though, he does speak about uh, finding that one person who... I, I think I would say that, in general, God gives us the parking lot, you know, the... the uh, you can't go outside of non-Christian kind of perimeter, but you can, you know, choose right. a spot within here. Right. But once I think we have to be flexible because it's this way in life for most decisions. Yes. It's a parking lot. Right. But in most people's lives, there's certain certain things that come up somewhere in the life where God says, in, in your particular case, it's this one. Well, there's some parking spaces you might like better. <coughs> you know, there's people with very nice cars who always park far away and no other cars around. And there's some people who drive around and around until they can park right by the door. Right. Yes. What I'm just saying is, parking spots aside, in life in general, I think God gives us choices and it's not just one, one marriage partner or one this or that. But once in a while, God might say, I'm going to ask you to do this. And that might be marriage that it happens with. You know, I can't, you know, the thing about that is, is I, I don't know how one would know such a, such a thing that, the, that God talks. I'm very, not very big on God talking, because mostly it's people talking, pretending that God's talking. And you remember that in the Old Testament, and I'm being quite serious here. But you, but you remember. 
but let me just, but, but here's the other side. If you're wrong when you say that, you know that the Old Testament penalty for that is death by stoning. If you say, for saying God said and it's not true. Well, no, I think you did. Here's the thing. When you say God says this is the person, you actually are saying that. Oh, so I'm just getting you to take a step back from that. Just a step back from that. Well, I'm not saying, no, I'm not saying it doesn't happen. I'm just saying the stakes are very high if you're wrong. Because Wheaton is filled with people who says God says. 99 times in 100, there's some, something on a range between wrong to stupid. Okay? <laughs> Honest to God, think about your friends. I mean, everybody who walks around and says God said, and I'm like, really, he did? And two years later, when it doesn't work out, they don't ever come back and say, okay, I'll have a bag of the gravel and a couple of the big ones, let me have it. The Old Testament penalty for saying this is stoning, okay? So I just, I just want to, you know, we just might, so I'm not very good at saying, now, here's the other thing. I think you can soften what you say and be right about that, which is to say, I still think you're, I think what you say, there's a lot of validity in what you say, which is under proper circumstances, which would be two people who say, first Christ, and then whatever good gift he gives in this particular circumstance, and with the, and now you go to the book, help of the community, which is what an arranged marriage is, we, we honor, you know, this broader vision. I think that that can be a very, something between a very workable to a very good marriage. I think that would be the greatest thing that would Right. To help you make decisions. You're thinking, you're thinking kind of through the wedding, a honeymoon, maybe six months into life. You're not thinking right. the next 40 years. Right. And, you know, now that I've got kids, I just can't right. believe how stupid I am. Actually, I. <laughs> Well, it's, now you would agree, though, uh, but here's the thing, and this is, I, you know, I hate to always embarrass you, Maggie, for being here, but part of the reason why it's, actually, just being real honest with you, you can't, you don't know what sort of joy you sort of provoke in people by being here today, especially these women who are here, because your presence here is not just that they see you listening to your mother, being with your mother, but I think it's what you're suggesting here, which is the broader presence of... <laughs> She's not 21 yet. No, 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 I, no, I think, no, 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 I think you, no, I think what you, no, there's nothing to apologize for, because here's what, here's what you just said, you just said, I love you enough to have a talk with you about the boy that you think you might be marrying, would you like to go out for Starbucks, isn't that what you just said, because I think that that was, and I think you would say, probably about your daughter, hey, exactly, look at all these people, see, this is a very po positive thing, Look at all these people who care about you, so now you think very fundamentally differently about getting married than you would if you'd have never been here, right? Because what you're saying to her is, we all care about you as a community. We want you to be happy. 
and we've learned a thing or two along the way. And, and here's the thing, and I, I'm going to press you a little bit because I don't think you would say, I don't think we could press you to the point of saying, or maybe any of you, no matter how much difficult you know, marriage might have been, I think, there, I think everybody would admit to difficulties. I think it's a very different thing to say, I would not get married again to the same person. And I think there's a range in which, I mean, the other side of your range is you won't hear anything. Okay, so you save yourself, I wouldn't hear anything. But the other side is a mother or a mother-in-law or father and father-in-law who wants you to hear everything and is absolutely positively sure that you're wrong and nothing you have to say is valuable. Yeah, that's the other side of the range because frankly, sometimes, and I don't know about your relationship with your mother or your father or your extended family, but sometimes your family are just the people who don't know you very well. And this is the other side of your equation, which is you've gone away to college and become a different person than you were when you left, and three years from now when you finish, you're going to be a much different person. Now, my best advice to you is you should probably talk to your mother about that because you need to let her know the different person you become. One of the great reasons to go away for college is you make all the stupid mistakes out of earshot and eyeshot of your parents. I am not kidding you, right? If everybody had to own up to all the stupid, thing they've done, stupid things they've done in the absence of their parents, our life together would be very difficult. It might be rich, but it would be difficult, right? So there's a range here in which the community, I think, needs to help. And if you're, you know, the way you, that you talk, I think, is the fullest, fullest range of that. You, you were obedient to the community, and the community was interested in you, and you're sort of the outside edge of that. Most people can't, don't have that good a community and can't bear that kind of obedience, right? So it does work, but it's a, it's a rarity because you don't have those two things. Oh, and we lived in and New. I was just questioning whether you would I would, but I would be, I would be, I would be, I would think that the community has something to say, and that the people have something to say. They both have something to say. Well, um, I'll come to you. <laughs> it's already too difficult. That, so when you're talking about the arranged marriages, I actually, I actually 
actually think an arranged marriage would be better than that burst of passion and then find out he's a loser. Well, now it can go the other way, which is you can have the not burst of passion and then he's still a loser. Yeah. <laughs> which, which can affect, when we still lived in, I mean, well, you should just say, in your office in New Jersey. Oh, we had... Uh, this, and this is, ten, this is in 85 to 90, okay? There was three arranged marriages in I'm from Yarnside. In a small office. Right. And interestingly enough, one Jewish marriage was very successful, um, and the other was a disaster. I mean, it was interesting, one was a disaster. So Where a mistress was sort of the expected outcome well, okay, of the arranged marriage, because yeah. if it didn't work, you know, you can't get out of it. You've signed on the dotted line, so what's the... Yeah. And the Indian one, I did, that was a terribly difficult thing, because trying to find the proper class or caste, it was all hierarchical, you know, and she couldn't... Sorry? No, 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 no. You know what I so. loved about this chapter, the Latin, the very last line, um, and I don't know that we say this specifically, will all of you witness, witness it, will all in your power to uphold these two persons in their marriage. Do we actually say that in the Lutheran um, survey? There is a part, uh, no, but we do say before God, we start by saying, we're gathered in the presence of God and these witnesses right. to da-da-da-da-da. And then there is a place for the parents to speak. Now, um, sometimes the parents think that that means that they're to write a, you know, give their toast in the midst of the, of the, of the uh, this is true, they think that it's time to give their toast. And so we back them off that. And this is what it says. Do you give your consent and count approval to this marriage? We do. Will you as parents support, encourage, and strengthen them in their marriage, remembering at all times that God wants them to live in obedience to his holy ordinance until death parts them, we will. Then they sit down. So that's as close as we get to it. Okay? This is an even broader it's a beautiful, thing. It's a beautiful sort of thing. That all the witnesses said, right. hey, you being the jerk. <laughs> We're going to come and chat. I'm actually like it's like the Sopranos. Can't say that. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I've appreciated in my own marriage when my friends have said, you know, you're not being very you know, and I must say that I have appreciated those friends more, as much or more than you have, I think. Really? Some best friend. Or even older people. Right. People really support you in your marriage, and they're not afraid to say, hey, I know you're having some trouble, or whatever. I think that's beautiful. Now, part of the thing is, and I'm going to come to you next because you've been so patient. Let me just say about this. Partly, though, that takes a community that is shaped in the best interests of the persons and the community and not in the sense of I'm going to protect my son or daughter, right? right? That takes a load of maturity. Your friend, it takes a load of maturity for your friend to choose for your husband rather than you. Well, see, now that isn't the way of the gospel. You know, uh, you know what, what you're hoping for is that it's, it's sort of almost the Matthew 18 thing where people, the witnesses you bring are outside objective people who have the savvy and competence and wisdom to listen to all sides and then say, well, the Lord speaks this way and you've got this going on, so the way out is this, regardless of who is involved. Well, she mainly does this, but actually talk out and Well, that's all right, too. That's one good reason to have friends, right? Yes, please. On my wedding day, Gave this, this little speech that, you know, John needed to be a good husband, and if I ever had my chance.
Lieutenant was John McCollum, and that he was a witness to our, our marriage, and that he wanted to be, he wanted to hold John accountable for this right. for the rest of his life. Right. And well, lo and behold, um, Elvis is 35, five or six years ago. We were having a smackdown draw that fight, and I had my phone in my hand. And he, he, I mean, it was like the biggest threat I could ever <laughs> give. <laughs> That was very interesting. I, I thought that was really amazing. Yeah, it was quite something. Yeah. Yes. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go here. We'll just go around. That's all right. When I was in college, one of my professors was Arab, and he was arranging his daughter's marriage. Right, yeah. Beautiful. You're going to say. Right. I think that as much as communication 
Now you begin to see how the pieces fit together, that um, when things are in the way of the law, which is you're trying to sort of do somebody in, or trying to win, or try to be right, this will always go poorly. And when they're in the way of the gospel, and the gospel would be, I'm not first, Christ is first, and what would Christ have us do? Then things sort of work out. My own analysis of people living together is actually living together is under the law, and being married is meant to be under the gospel and the people who live together don't make the transition very successfully. Under the law means um, if you and I live together and you disappoint me, I know that I can walk out the door without more than having to worry about whether I have to pay my half of the lease, right? So you just sort of, so you always need to perform and you always need to be the person I want to and you worry about, especially if you become dependent, and uh, you worry about if you displease me, I will leave uh, and I'm not, when people talk about marriage just being a piece of paper, it's much more than a piece of paper. You've had the big deal, people have, you put time into it, there's been some measure at least of paying a big bill. Um, if you go to the, there's a, Rutgers has been studying people who live together for more than 20 years. It's completely secular. Rutgers marriage site, you go to rutgers.edu, there's the marriage site there. And they, they found that if you live together, it doubles almost, I'm just giving you the rough number, it doubles all the bad things that can happen in marriage. If you live together, it doubles the divorce rate, it doubles the rate of unhappiness with your spouse, doubles the rate of abuse of children and wives, doubles the rate of sexual unhappiness, doubles kind of everything. The worst indicator of, 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 of people think, and somebody said this, the, the natural thing, we give this, whoever said this, one of you two said this, you sort of try it out and if it works then you stick with it. The interesting thing is, is a marriage, uh, living together, I think, is very different. And I think, theologically, you can sort of say that. It's very, very different, and the secular statistics sort of bear that out. You know, it just bears it out. You, you would think it would be the normal thing. If it works out, we'll stick together, and if it doesn't. But you also know the studies sort of show that after you've lived with somebody about six months, a breaking up is as traumatic as a divorce. People have to show the same sort of psychological symptoms. They show the same sort of depression rates. So once you've, you've sort of put yourself together with somebody in, a, in very close space, and now you've defined your thing in terms of the law, which is, if you displease me, I will leave. Or the other thing is that people often do in living together is they continue to show a remarkable amount of freedom. Hey, we're just living together, so I'm going with my friends. Or we're just living together so I can go do this, right? So you have this relationship that is not defined in advance as this tight knit two become one. It's still two being two, but in the same space. Does that make sense? Then you troop to the altar, and suddenly the rules are changed. Do you really think, if you've established this relationship over the course of six months or a year or two years or three years, that coming to the altar, you can suddenly undo all that and your relationship could be different? It can't. You've already defined. I think you would all say the first three months, six months, year of your marriage defines the habits and the patterns by which your marriage does in fact exist, right? So if you don't get the first year or so right, the first six months right, the first year, it's very difficult to undo those things. Doesn't that make sense? Yeah. You know? I wanted to be a wife, I wanted to cook and clean and do the housewife thing, 
But because we weren't in a marriage, he was kind of like, I'm going out. You know, I'm doing this. I'm doing that. And it was. We always had that. And we would fight all the time. And our fights were always about, if you don't do this, then I'm leaving. And we right. constantly fought about that. And finally one day I thought, just leave. You know, just leave. But then what we did is we thought, okay, to make it better, we'll get married. So we got married. It got worse. <laughs> it got worse. And you, and you raised the expectations for your I relationship. Raised, I raised yeah. the expectations. Right. And he just got more insistent on he wasn't going to, and it just got worse, and finally we got divorced. But, you know, with Russell, it was different because the moment, I mean, we got married, like I said, we got married a month before we lived together. And so as soon as we moved in, it was like, he knew, you know, he knew. Um, he does the garbage, he does the dishes, <laughs> you know, he does. He knew his place. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, the funny thing is, is that it was so, I felt so honorable to walk in and, and know my place. I do the grocery shopping, I do the cooking, I do, I clean the bathrooms because he can't stand them. I mean, it was like, I felt so good to walk in and know I have duties and he has duties. We're like, we're like a partnership. You knew your role. I knew my role, he knew his role, and then we were just like, yeah, you know, but, and there, and there was, it was probably there, deeper than that. I it mean, was deeper. Right. You, you're describing it, was, it in terms of yeah, that's right. It's just you're you're describing. Yeah, that's right. You're just describing the symptomatic. Below that was the reliability of what you did. Yeah, right. And I knew that he would never threaten to leave me because we're married. You know, he made a commitment, and he we're married. And you know what? Neither one of us has ever threatened to leave each other. Actually, what I have done is sometimes when I'm really mad at him, I'll tell him that you know to bring his blanket downstairs. <laughs> Well, you do give up at your at your marriage. Yeah, at your marriage, you give up wondering whether you love somebody. Your your question it, it moves from from the question mark to a period. It moves from the interrogative to the indicative, which is you no longer say, "Do I love you?" You say, "You wake up every morning and say, I love you.' Now, what does that mean?" And 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 that by the way, whoever said this before was that in the scriptures, love is not defined as an emotion first. It's defined as action first, and then regularly you have emotion that follows from that. But love has to do with duty. It has to do with action. If you read about love in the scriptures, love has to do with this selfless action. Christ on the cross is the greatest example. He doesn't say, it doesn't say when, when, when he loves those who were unlovable. He doesn't talk about some warm feeling first. He talks about sending Christ to the cross. And then beyond that, that's understood to be the sort of action that expresses an emotion and elicits an emotion. So it's the Father who loves you so that he wants you back, and he'll act on that, and then hopefully you'll live in joy and gratitude for that. Please.
Uh, I'm sorry, I was just, yes, please. Where's your... Could, you could offer that your brother could move in with you. <laughs> it would be the way the community could love him and embrace him and keep him from sin. Talking to a pastor right. and saying, I'm coming to you, and I'm telling you, 
One in four people say that who come in, who are living together. At least one in four say that's the, it's for financial reasons. <laughs> you want to edit this when it goes up on the when this hey, hey Mary when this goes up on the internet you're going to want to edit some of this other, up. What are the other three out of four people? Yeah. Well, everybody does it. I think is more. I don't even know that it's explicitly sex. It's just what it's just what you do if you're under thirty. You just you do you just you just you just move in together and have it's just a, it's just a trial run. Well, I've had a range of, I've had a range of, partly it is, yeah, it's not this, it's not so, it's not so easy as, as you might think, because we have a range of people who, you have people who, let's say, have lived together in what, in 100 years ago, would be termed a common law marriage. Remember common law marriage? You remember that? You lived together for seven years, the state says you're married. And they might have a couple, three kids. Now they come to church, and what are you going to do with that? You're obviously not going to, or I once had a guy who, um, he was marrying a woman and she was pregnant and he was very insistent that they should not live together. In fact, they probably shouldn't live together. She was about seven months pregnant from that point until about six months after she gave, I'm serious, to her about six months after, they were gonna get married about six months after she was about to give birth, it was his child. But he said, you know, we really shouldn't be living together but about after we get married, I'd be very willing to move back. Well, I mean, obviously what he was doing was just taking another eight month pass on hey, diapers and crying in the middle of the night, you know. So you have, I sort of urged him to stay and do his duty in the way that the, uh, you know. But here, here's the thing, it's, it's very convoluted. And partly, you know, one question is you're, you're already with people in advance, but very often people have already moved in together or bought a house together or already living together. And to try to undo a mortgage, to talk to people, you know, we're going to undo this or we don't know how to do this or how can we do this, blah, blah, blah. When I, soon after I came here, there was, the, there, I don't know if you ever noticed, there's, across from Tom's Price, across the tracks, there were four, there was, a, there was a four flat that was available. And I often thought we should buy that for pregnant moms and grooms who think they need to move in and brides. And we should just have that and give it to people as, um, you know, it'd be the sort of thing if you had an extra million dollars, you didn't know what to do, if that would be an honorable way to do it. Let's, something tells me you actually didn't need the chapter in the book to talk about this. <laughs> like we could have just said we're going to talk about this. Let's sort of swing all the way back around, see if we can get everything out of, when, when people come for premarital counseling, I try to talk about three texts. I try to talk about the John text that we read this morning. So, and you've heard me preach on this, so you sort of know the punchline. The punchline is, people always say that's Jesus' first miracle. And in a sense, that's true. But in another sense, it's not true. Um, Jesus' first miracle is the incarnation, that he takes flesh. And the reason that John's, I would argue, the reason that John puts that first, and it's kind of fun that it's in a marriage, but it's broader than marriage. Um, it, the, the, the thing is, is uh, well, there's so many clever things in that text. One is, that's the last time Mary speaks in the scriptures. In John chapter 2, Mary doesn't speak again. And her last words are, do whatever he tells you. Isn't that fascinating? So here's his mother. It's the last time she speaks. And his, he sa she says, do whatever he tells you. That's the end. And that's why, frankly, there's a large tradition of talking about Mary as uh, the preeminent apostle. Because she bears Jesus and then she is in complete obedience to him, do whatever he tells you. So there's just a, there's just a strain there about, you know, you know, why she's held up in such high regard. Okay, so sort of put that to the side. Do whatever he tells you. 
And then um, go to the end of the thing where, where, the, where, the, where this is where people prophesy and they don't know they're prophesying. Remember what the steward says? What's the steward say? What's the big you know, punchline for them? You remember what the punchline is? Say it for the best for last. And obviously, you know, you're supposed to hear Jesus saying, new wineskins for new wine. Yeah, when he'll later say this about himself. So you save the best for last, which is the incarnation of Jesus. You save the best for last. He is the best for last, okay? And then, of course, so here, here's what you have. You have, you have all three components you need. You have the best for last. That means Jesus, the incarnation, is the best thing ever. You have Mary saying, do whatever he says, so complete obedience to him. And you have, what's the miracle? And you've heard me say this before. He doesn't talk to the wine or touch the wine. There aren't witnesses, really. He doesn't. Remember, the servants knew what had happened, but the bride, there's no hullabaloo. This miracle is different than all of other Jesus miracles because he's the miracle that happens just because he's in the room. It's like the, the water is there, and he says, put some water in the cup, and then he says, take the cup to the steward, and then by the time the cup gets there, the water's become wine. What's the miracle? He didn't really do anything. He didn't, it's not like he yelled at Lazarus, come out, or when he touches the lepers, or he, he says grace over the bread. It, the point is, this is different. It's just that he's present there. So Jesus, yes, but he's present before they're obedient. First the presence, then the obedience. Yes, but you're, I, you're dangerously close to making the miracle depend on, on their obedience, which it utterly does not. It, it utterly, he, it's, it's not grace if it depends on you. Okay? Yes, but you have to understand faith is complete gift of God, so faith is God's work too. That's right. He was the gift of God. The whole point is about Jesus and not about us. Yeah, yeah. So here, here's the point. Here's the marriage point. That he, when Jesus is present, everything is different. Okay. So now you always see your spouse through Jesus. Or you always see your spouse and Jesus together. When you look back, you see your spouse and Jesus. So normal marriage is people look at each other and then they say, gosh, is, do I love this person? Uh, is, is he going to provide? Is sex going to be good? Are we going to be able to stick together? What were the it's always about looking at the other person. The reason you come to the altar is that you don't look at each other. You remember the marriage, uh, the marriage ceremony is very well framed. You come to the front, then you hear the word of God in the midst of the community, and then the pastor speaks about the word of God, and then the pastor actually comes down and says to you, do you really want to do this? Do you really want to do this? Yes, I do. Then you go up to the holy space. You're drawn up to the altar where what's going to happen? What God has joined together, let nobody put asunder. And part of the problem with, and, and Luther got this wrong. Luther has a point where he says, marriage belongs to the courthouse, not to the mouth house, not to the, not to the, not to the church. He's utterly wrong. Jesus says what God puts together. The Catholics are much closer when they talk about marriage as a sacrament than we are when we talk about it as a civil act. What God put together, it was, a, it, was a, it was a God act before it was a civil act. The civil act is copied from what God did in Eden. And Jesus himself says it, what God joins together. So the pastor says, are you really, you really want to go be put together? Yes, we do. So you come up, and then God puts you together. I, in the presence of God and these witnesses. And you could say, because God baptized us, and he puts his body and blood into us, and he put us together, and he moves us up here. Okay, so what God joins together 
let nobody break apart. It's, marriage is God's act, not your act, in the first analysis, okay? So first God is present, then God puts you together, and then I, I will say something, which is the Ephesians 5 text, which people always choke on, and then regularly, um, you know, won't say. I always have, I still have brides who choke on obey because they've never been to Bible study. And I even, I think I've told you, I even had one bride since I've been here. We did all the study, and then half an hour before, the bride sends me a note. Do you know this? Have I told you this? Sends me a note and says, we've been all the way through it. And we'd sort of say, we're not forcing you to be married here, and if you want to be married here, this is what it means to be under care, blah, blah, blah. Half an hour before the wedding, I get a note from the bride. I won't say obey. <sighs> now what do I do? Oh, yes, right, yes, right. Disguise it so that none of her, you know, non-literate 25-year-old friends can figure out what we're saying. That'd be one possibility. We could lie. That's good. It was good when you're... No, but, I mean, here are my choices. I could say, well, okay, I can, I can not do the wedding. So you could drop the nuclear bomb. You could go out and say, wedding's off. She won't say obey. Wedding's off, but have a nice time at the reception. You've already paid for it. So you could say that. In actuality, you know what? People who do that, it's a brave statement, but it's cheaper than a divorce. Oh, it was a priest decision, yes. Well, I didn't, so, but that's to nuke people. But I will say, every time I see this bride, I always think to myself, you got less of marriage than Jesus intended. Because if you go to the, I did the marriage, and I didn't do it, but she has less than Jesus intended. Her entire life, she'll live with less blessing than Jesus meant to give her. It's a great sadness for her. She got cheated out of a big piece. Because it's right out of scriptures. What people don't realize is the vows. When people come in and say, can we, I once was at a wedding. Um, now, this was in Aspen, Colorado, but so it's different. But he said, I promise to stay with you till the cows come home. They were ranchers. And I thought to myself, I wonder what will happen when the cows come home. I just wonder, you know, because cows do eventually come home. They do come home, you know. Yeah, exactly. And you're like, so what, yeah, but you're, now you're free, so it lasts until milking time. If you grow up, they come twice a day, don't they? Yeah, they're six in the morning and six at night. You know, what, it, I mean, you say to yourself, and, and one thing you said before, which is, the, you know, the submit verb is really, or the obey verb is very misunderstood. The word is hupotasso, which means it's how you order your life. It's how... It's how a, a military unit, when they're going into battle, take the analogy if you will, um, orders the troops so that everything works efficiently. Or it is the way that people give themselves voluntarily to another person. And the other thing that's always lost is women have the lesser vow. Women say obey, men said they'll die. Yeah. So those, those are the two things. Men say, say, say they'll die. So it says women say I'll obey and men say I'll die. And you hold those two things next to each other, and you sort of say, which is the greater? So I have a friend who said, I've been married 24 years, and I haven't been allowed to make any major decision yet, because every major decision I've made in my marriage, I've made for my wife and my kids. See, so that's a very interesting way of talking about it. Exactly. So his, his wife and his kids always come first. So he, he says, I've never, made, I've never made a decision in my own interest in 24 years. Now he says that. Sometimes with regret and sometimes with joy, because it works both ways. But see, here's the thing. And the, the, the whole point of that is the volunteer. It's sort of like nobody is forcing you to take a mortgage, you know, go to college, uh, be a nurse. or do, I mean, nobody's forcing you to anything. You say to somebody, I would really like you to be my husband, or I'd very much like you to be my wife. And then you say, the order is going to be this way. 
And you remember that at the end of this, so the order is this way. I'll do as you bid me to do. Whatever you ask me to do, that's what I'll do. Obviously within the confines of the church and I will do anything for you. He says, I'll do for you what Jesus did for the church. That is, I'll do anything for you, including die for you. And then you remember that, the end, that it ends by saying, marriage isn't the big deal. Marriage is just a chancel drama. Marriage is just a, a live action photo of how Jesus takes the church as his bride. So the number one reason that all of us are married, the number one reason that all of us are married is as a witness to how Christ loves the church. When somebody looks at you, they shouldn't say, aren't you in love, or don't they get along well, or isn't this great, or look at their kids. What people first should say about you is, wow, Christ really loves the church. The reason people get married is to show how Christ loves the church. That's what, that's what the text says. And, if you, and that's why you get married in a church rather than in an inn or somewhere else. Is it wrong? No, it's just not best. You're not getting the full blast treatment of Christ loves the church. Yes, please. Okay. That so means to be, that all right, let me, just, let me just throw something back up before you go, because okay. thought creeps. Okay. That's right, because grace is always resistible, and miracles are already re always resistible. And you're, and at Cana, whoop, 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 If you're going to say it, we're going to take it all the way out. Okay, I don't Well, write it down. Uh, every gift can be received. So somebody at this wedding could have easily said, don't know where that wine came from, I won't have any of that. Or... I won't have any of that Jesus. I won't obey. Grace is always, doesn't matter. You could, your miracles are utterly rejectable. He feeds the 5,000. It could have been 4,999. Miracles do not work by force. Jesus right. doesn't work by force. But the wine had already become wine before they could have That's right. And it doesn't anyway. enter you. No, no, it's not anyway because this is so no, important. This is a, no, it's not. Here, here's the reason it's not. Because it anyway. this is not, this is it's an imported... No, this is imported into the text, and you may not import it. And you, here's the thing. You just can't put it in. It doesn't work. It's a faulty definition of grace and a faulty definition of Jesus. Okay, anyway, um, I, I'm not sure that I, I agree with your thing. You there don't have to agree, but I just simply put the it there. The thing I'm saying is you seem to think as if obeying was suddenly putting it under law instead of under grace. And I would just like to put out that maybe obeying is under grace. You were just right now talking about obedience as a gift in marriage and what good thing it is. Right. And the biblical text, if you go even before the King James, because the King James translated it wrong, if you look at the Greek, it says, I will be to him as I am to Christ. I mean, it's that idea. The woman should be to her husband as she is to Christ. And they put in the word submit there because it fits the context of the conversation. But that goes back to King James. No, the submit comes from hupotasso, the very first Greek word. It means in I will be No, hupotasso means, it's hupo and tasso. Hupo is under or of, tasso is ordered. So I will in be ordered. No, but no, this is, that's so not just anyway, because it actually matters. It is the context, but yeah. it is to be ordered under authority. By the way, I, I agree with your. Under him as I am under yes, Christ. that's right. And so that I'm just saying. That's right. I've never, just so, just so you know, I've never said that, and it's not under the law. And obedience is a complete gospel word. It's, it's, a, it's a gift that God lets us Yes, you're right. And so that's why I don't see any problem with the water turning to wine if God is giving that gift to 
That's right. But some, all I'm saying is the people are in refusal, the gifts are refusable. You seem to have an evangelical notion that grace is irresistible, and I'm trying to shake you out of that. Grace is, good, that's good, then the, then the rest will work out. No, 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 but the whole thing about faith has to, No, that's not true. Wow. Okay. Okay. Okay, good. Wait, wait. See, it's going That's all right. All right. Well, every once in a while you could take a you could take a you could take a little you could take a little little thing. <clears throat> But the cause and effect, you can't prove the cause and effect. You can't prove it. It's Thank you. So all I'm saying, you rejoice in the gift that's given. You clean it up if you stop trying to know the mind of God. No, you simply receive the gifts that, you receive the gifts that are given, or you don't receive them. But anyway, like we talk about marriage, marriage obedience that, whatever you call it, ordinance under, is a gift, actually. Yes, I, yes, yes, yes. Which is the reason you can say it and be free about it and love it and enjoy it. Yes, I completely would argue that, so I was misunderstood before. I mean, if you've, Forever and ever on men here, I've been saying that, that obedience is a gift and to live within Eden, to live within the boundaries. So the Ten Commandments, are they the law or gospel? They're the gospel. The Ten Commandments are the kindest thing. The Ten Commandments are like, have you been to, have you been to the Grand Canyon? Where they have that edge? And there that sign says, don't go past here. And then like 12 people a year go past the sign and fall off. Is the sign a good thing or a bad thing? It's a really good thing. It's the same way about... Um, be faithful to your wife. That's a really good thing. It's a, it's, it's a gift. Yes? Um, one thing is, Jesus' um, boy and my second graders were talking one day about how they wanted to honor God by getting married. Now, these kids don't know anything about living together and all kinds of sinful things that might go on when they grow up, but that is... Um, That's fascinating. Where did they get that? From you guys? Oh, I was just curious where they yeah. got it. It's a great thought. I just wondered where they... Sure, why not? Yeah, it's a great gift to be, uh, it, you know, it comes right out of you, uh, when, you love your, when, you, when you love your wife, you show how Christ loves the church. Yeah, good. Yeah, that's very fascinating. Good for them. Right. That's right. Right, yes. I just wanted to say that um, Russell has never told me what to do. And I don't know why either, because I did say obey. And you know what? I think if he ever did tell me what to do, that I would probably do it. I mean, I just can't imagine him ever telling well, me. Well, it's a bit like your children. If you if you, if they do what you if they if you do what you you know if, if they do if Is they do already what you. Ever told you what to do? I've never been told it's what to do. It's normally. <coughs> it's normally not a good idea, <coughs> in my experience. Yeah, good. Well, I know, but other people, husbands ask that, too. Like, I just tell me what to do. Yeah. So we could get that. He's never, like, saying, you know, like, Yeah. Go ahead. Oh, gosh, I did, when did you come in? I, I just... <laughs>
themselves in. They don't, you know, personality-wise, they might have a treasure of wisdom and advice to bring, but if the other personalities are consuming the block already, they won't deliver them themselves. And so I think it's important to give guys like that some room to breathe in. Men and women are different. No, just busy. <laughs> Lindsay, yes, right, go ahead. Well, it is a it is a difficult thing. We don't hear uh, we don't hear obedience as a kind word. It's a very very kind word. But the the most important thing is that it's a voluntary. Nobody forces you to do, to do just like nobody forces you to come into the church. When you come under the church, you come under all sorts of authority, the authority of the pastor, the authority of the community. You know, you you come under all you give up things for a greater good. It's the same thing in marriage. You, yeah. But here's the other thing. Here's the other thing. It's very nice to have somebody who has charge of you. Yeah. Everybody should have somebody who has charge of them. It's nice to be loved in that way. I'm serious. It is. Right. And the point of disobeying him is when he asks you to do something that wasn't in the way of God. Yeah. So it's first Christ and then your husband. So he says you're, you're, you're at the disobedient point. Yeah, there you go. All right, well, I think you might be able to. I was worried that this chapter was thinner and you might not have anything to say. <laughs> I seriously was. When I wrote down this, I was like, ooh, there's not quite as much in this chapter as the other ones. I wonder if they'll be able to think of anything. But that just shows you... Uh,